Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hello. Hi, John. Yes. Howard David. Yes, Howard. How are you? You doing okay? I'm doing well. All right. We got about 30 seconds. Okay. Where are you living now? Still in Seattle? See, Seattle, yeah. Nice. Got a bye week this week, which is good. Yeah, you get any remnants from the uh, smoke in California? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, it's like uh, they had to move the Mariners series down to uh, San Diego. Right. It was so bad. Okay. Spiked over like uh, 100 and 150. And it was bad. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live as we welcome in the Professor John Clayton. John, a lot uh, going on in the NFL. And Tennessee got to play last night after 16 days off. Didn't seem to bother him too much as they whipped up on previously unbeaten Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, go figure that. They don't practice for two and a half weeks. They didn't get into the facility until Saturday, and well, they come back and they absolutely smoked the Bills. I mean, Ryan Tannehill uh, looked fantastic, and here's a Bill team that you start to say, okay, are they a Super Bowl contender? And you say yes because in their first four games they look really good, and now they go against Tennessee and get whipped, and now they have to come back on Sunday and play the Kansas City Chiefs, but an impressive win by the Titans. Yeah, Tannehill throws three touchdown passes, but you know the story. You've been around this thing a long time. Uh, if you win the turnover battle, generally you win, and they did last night. Buffalo turned it over three times. Tennessee did not turn it over at all. Yeah, that's true. And, of course, you know, it, it also helps that uh, you know, the Titans have a pretty decent defense. You know, they had a great running game and, of course, one of the great stiff arms we've ever seen from Derrick yeah. Henry. That was pretty <laughs> amazing. But I think the key to the game certainly was Ryan Tannehill. Now, again, I still wonder, is the league going to have a substantial penalty against the Titans for what they did as far as you know, really kind of jeopardizing a lot of things in the, the league as far as with the movement of games and things of that nature? But it sounded like from what Roger Goodell was saying yesterday that they may not do anything to the Titans, which I think is strange because you know that they had three workouts uh, on their own with the players, like 16, 17 players on two different days that uh, you know, caused that thing, I think, more to spread. Yeah, I, you know, I hear all of that. Um, I, I'm looking at the you know, that that issue uh, troubles me a little bit from this standpoint. Um, I, I want and look, I'm not pointing my finger at Roger Goodell, but I am pointing my finger at Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, because he has been, in my mind, the most effective commissioner in sports during all of this from the beginning to where we are now. I mean, think about it. Not one case in the NBA in the bubble of the COVID, not one case of the NHL in the bubble. And yet the NFL has had, as you well know, and Major League Baseball, too. Yeah, of course, the difference is, 
you know, you're talking you know, a roster that is minimal, 69 players. Right. And uh, you have you know, 20 coaches. You have so many more people that are involved. That's why the idea of trying to go into some kind of a bubble uh, it would not work in the NFL because, again, you, know, you have more people to deal with. I mean, the thing that you can understand is going to happen next, if there's going to be anything like the Titans, what they'll do is they'll create a hotel bubble where they'll have all the players, the coaches, a bunch of uh, staff people all in the hotel and uh, not even hardly allowing them out. And so they have to be away from family and all those different things. That's going to be the next step because, again, if that would be all very similar to what they did in the NBA and the NHL. But, again, you can see it's successful. But the next step has to be trying to go into some kind of a hotel bubble. Yeah, uh, John Clayton uh, with me on Howard David Live. Um, the NFL now is played on Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, now Tuesdays, but no discussion of a week 18. No, there's discussion. I mean, they just don't want to do it. Uh, they'll do it if necessary. I think you you can understand that uh, because what they're trying to do, because here's what's, and the reasons they're so adamant about that is once you get past all the bye weeks, there's very little you can do other than have a week 18. But they want to make sure that you don't have two teams or three teams that are now going to have to move back two games uh, because then what happens, you your week 18 turns into week 19 where yeah. you just have to eliminate the games, uh, period, and say, okay, now we're going to have to go judge the playoffs by uh, percentages of wins and things of that nature. So they're trying to you know do the best they can to prevent a week 18, but you know they have like, no choice but to go for it if they want to get these games in. John, let me go back to the Tennessee team for a minute. Uh, in your mind... Are they a legitimate title contender? Uh, I think so now. I mean, they've got a good defense. Ryan Tannehill, again, to be a legitimate contender, you have to have the quarterback. And you look at the numbers that uh, Ryan Tannehill has put up since taking over last year, I mean, they're almost equal to what you see Patrick Mahomes. And so if that's the case, I thought that, uh, you know, Tennessee would be right behind Indy in the AFC South. But right now, the way that the Titans are playing and the fact that Phillip Rivers is struggling, you know, they're, they're right up there. But the fact that Tannehill has been so good, <laughs> I think you give him the idea that, okay, they are a legitimate contender. Uh, in the AFC East, I said from day one that Buffalo is the team to beat in the division. I maintain that stance. But New England had to be pretty happy about Buffalo losing last night. Oh, and the fact that they uh, have to play the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. They have to be happy about that because if they're 4-2, and two, the Patriots, who are 2-2, two and two, just have to start climbing back up and being able to uh, you know, stay with them. And as long as they have Cam Newton, I don't think they'll have Cam Newton this week, but I think that uh, they have a chance. And so... And that's the thing that's so interesting about the Bills because I thought, you know, the way that Josh Allen was playing, then he can still bounce back from it. You know, they were a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But if they end up losing to Kansas City, now they're just a, a division contender. But again, the Patriots have to be very happy about this. Let's talk about um, a team that, um, I, I don't know, they mid sailing under the radar. I don't know what to make of it. But the Green Bay Packers uh, are unbeaten. They go to play Tampa Bay this week. So we got Rodgers and Tom Brady as the storylines. But Aaron Rodgers, he's been sacked just three times this season. He's got 13 touchdowns and has yet to be intercepted, throwing 71% completions. I mean, this is Vinton Aaron. You remember when they drafted Love and everybody said, oh, this is the beginning of the end of Aaron Rodgers. I guess not so fast. 
Oh, yeah, because, I mean, that's, that's why I still contend that drafting Love was a mistake and trading up for Love was a mistake because, you know, Aaron Rodgers wants to finish his career in Green Bay, and he now knows with the, as long as they want to go back to Jordan Love at some point, he's probably out of there in two years, and he still has too much good football. But I think you can see that he's on a mission to kind of not necessarily prove the Packers wrong, but just to say, what are you thinking? Are you thinking when you uh, – I'm a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I'm still in my prime. And so, I mean, you think about what's happened the last two weeks. You know, He's put up those type of numbers in the last couple of games without Alan Lazard, who somehow ended up being a starting wide receiver, and also Devontae Adams. And so, yeah, it's amazing to see what he's doing. I mean, certainly you look and see that at the moment, you know, Green Bay and Seattle would be the leading candidates to be the number one and number two seeds in the uh, NFC. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been fantastic. Yeah, and, and of course, you're close to Seattle. Uh, they survived uh, Minnesota. And, and I'll underscore the word survived. But I don't know, you, you get the idea when you watch a guy like Russell Wilson, he's going to find a way. Oh, no question. He only keeps getting better and better. And then what's also helped is the standpoint that DK Metcalf has now come on to become one of the better receivers in football. Because if you look at his numbers over the first 21 games he's played, they they actually top Terrell Owens. Uh, it tops uh, Julio Jones because he's got 80 catches for 1,396 yards and 12 touchdowns. That's better than... Uh, Calvin Johnson, the only one that doesn't top would be Randy Moss, because Randy in his first 20 games, he had uh, 90 catches, uh, like 1,600 yards, and 20, 21 touchdowns, and so, uh, you know, 20 touchdowns, and so right now, DK Metcalf has become the big guy that uh, is working well with TJ Tyler Lockett, and that gives him one of the best one-two combinations for wide receivers in football. Let me go back to the Seattle-Minnesota game, and Mike Zimmer's come under fire and I think justifiably so. You're ahead by by five points, and you don't kick a field goal there. You go for it. Now, I mean, re- refresh my memory. Didn't Seattle stop Cam Newton from in, in a very similar situation? At the one at the one yard line, yes, they did. So my point is, is that you you why not kick the field goal? Give yourself an eight point lead, and, and so the worst that can happen is you're going to go to overtime this way. You, you miss it. And coaches, look, you know this, coaches are always doubting Thomases. They always think the worst. And so if that's the case, you put the ball back in Russell Wilson's hand? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was a mistake. I mean, for the moment I saw it, and the moment they didn't send the field goal kicker out, I thought it was a mistake. Because, you know, now what you have to do, now certainly uh, Russell would have gotten the ball at the 25-yard line as opposed to, to the six-yard line, that made it a little would make it a little bit easier, and there was enough time that they'd be able to do it because he had about a minute fifty-six. Right. But still, it puts him in a position where you have to make two stops because first you have to stop the drive, uh, and then if he does get the touchdown, then you have to stop the two-point conversion. You know, it's like uh, I know that there's uh, a lot of people in Minnesota saying, "Oh, they made the right move." I think it was the wrong move. Well, it's the right move if you make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you <yep>. know. <laughs> he didn't make it, and that's the thing. It's like. Who can't have any success in night games as far as getting wins? And you know his record against uh, winning quarterbacks to qu- and teams with winning records is incredibly bad. You see the great John Clayton. Uh, look, I go back to Houston, Kansas City last year in the playoffs, and Bill O'Brien goes for it with a twenty-four nothing lead. 
and he doesn't make it, and Kansas City goes in, scores a touchdown that leads to a complete turnabout, and, and the Chiefs win in a romp. Uh, Bill O'Brien's no longer the coach of the Houston Texans. I, I'm sure you know that by now. <laughs> but you know, Yeah, I, I'm just pulling your leg. So we've seen coaches get fired. We see Quinn in Atlanta gets fired. I mean, it, it, I don't know where Mike Zimmer is, you know, and I'm not wishing for him to lose his job, but people start talking. I mean, when you, this is a word, we're in a results-oriented society. You win, everybody's happy. You lose, everybody starts pointing fingers. Yeah, but uh, the thing is, he just signed a three-year extension, so okay. uh, you kind of get the feeling that's out of the cards because that's a three-year extension that has guaranteed money so he's under contract for four more years and this was going to be a, a little bit of a step back year for the vikings because you know i know talking to rick spielman the general manager you know uh, every general manager you have that three-year plan and this was the third year when you got to the point where that seven years that they've kept the defense together was going to break up so he got lindo joseph he had to go and uh, everson griffin had to go you know they had to let their top three cornerbacks go in the toughest period time because now to take young cornerbacks when there's no offseason no offseason program no preseason games you can see the difficulty they're having there then they make the move for unique and dogway which has worked out but they lose to neil hunter he's Alan is going to be able to play again this year. He got the neck injury. Then they also lose Anthony Barr. So, I mean, he's tried to do the best he can, but right now they're one and four and looking bad. Well, here's a team that is looking good. Two teams that are looking good, and they meet on Sunday, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Uh, and you look at, I mean, I don't know if Cleveland's making everybody a believer, but uh, the Browns are sixth in the league in passing. They're, they're leading in rushing. They're... Uh, they're having a, a very nice year, and now they get the test. Is this the acid test for the Cleveland Browns playing in Pittsburgh? This is. I mean, because, again, it's like if they are for real. And because right now, I thought going into the season, the fact that they had six Pro Bowl players on offense and four on defense, that's ten. You know, that should make you a wild card, particularly if the quarterback plays well. Now, the quarterback did not play well last year and was struggling, I think, in his second year. But uh, now what you've seen is Kevin Stefanski's come in. He's taken this team to a running team, which I think is wise. You know, that just allows Baker Mayfield to get more play-action passes. You know, they've got good receivers, no question about that. The offensive line has performed better, but I think a lot of the success is what the play calling of Kevin Stefanski's been. Well, they're leading the league in rushing. They have 11 rushes of plus 20 yards. Uh, they're sixth in the league in receiving, led by Odell Beckham Jr., who is, you know, he, he can drive you crazy a little bit, but by the same token, the guy's enormously talented. No question about it. And so uh, they're on a roll right now, but of course, you know, they started the season and Baltimore took care of them. Now it's a matter of Pittsburgh, and you know that's going to be that's going to be a dogfight because, you know, Miles Garrett, with what uh, he did in getting the suspension and the fines and all that stuff for what he did with uh, Mason Rudolph, you know, that uh, that's going to carry over and you know it's, it's going to be tense and having you know cut my teeth on covering you know cleveland pittsburgh games i mean that's been historic as far as that goes so i think the officials have to make sure they try to control this game yeah and cleveland's you know can obviously put a lot of points on the board in pittsburgh uh, i mean philadelphia got 29 on them last week uh, uh, can cleveland exploit the, the steelers secondary 
because, I mean, that's the way the league is right now. I mean, because, again, you're seeing more 30-point games than you've ever seen. I mean, you know, scoring is at an all-time high. Yards are at an all-time high. And defenses just have a difficult time. You know, they're not calling holding penalties so quarterbacks can keep into a rhythm. They're not facing second and 15s. You know, they, they don't have to worry about those drive killers. And, of course, not having fans in the stands gives offenses on the road a chance to do a lot of good things. So this is going to be a fascinating game. Steelers have the edge because, again, they've got Ben Roethlisberger. They've got a top five type of defense. But again, in any type of a game, particularly even a division game, you can score points. Well, you know, Cleveland, unfortunately, doesn't have Nick Chubbies on IR. But how about how about Claypool last week? I mean, my goodness, what a day this kid had with four touchdown receptions. But you kind of sense that was going to happen because uh, in this year, I, I don't know, it, 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 you compare uh, Claypool to DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sometimes I, the, the draft last year in wide receivers in 2019 wasn't as rich as this one. This is considered to be one of the richest wide receiver drafts in NFL history. And when you can see the top three are the top three, you know, whether you, you like Jerry Judy or whether you like uh, CeeDee Lamb or you can see Henry Rugg, they're all good. But look at the other receivers. Remember, there was more receivers drafted in the first three rounds, I think it was 25, than any year in NFL history. But Claypool has that type of body, not maybe as big and strong as DK Metcalf, but a big type receiver like that. And now, as good as Pittsburgh has been, they've been the best team in the last decade or two in drafting, maybe two decades, in drafting wide receivers. He's just a great find. And to put him out there with Juju Schuster, Smith, Smith-Schuster, I mean, it's sensational. Yeah, I mean, you'll pick your poison, right? Uh, they're, yeah. they're doing a heck of a job. I said before the season started, and I knew you would agree, that the NFC West was the most uh, complete division top to bottom. I'm going to throw in the AFC North as a competitor right now. We knew about Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Cleveland's now becoming a factor. Cincinnati won't make the playoffs, but at least they have a quarterback of the future. No, no question about it. And you still give the edge to the uh, NFC West, but particularly, you know, they started out, I mean, they had the, one of the best uh, three games uh, in, in NFL history as far as winning. And, uh, you know, San Francisco has just been blighted by injuries. Arizona's been up and down, and now they lose Chandler Jones. The Rams have been really good, and they captured the NFC East because all four wins they have are in the NFC East. Now they don't get a chance to play any more of those games. But, uh, you know, what you're looking at, and again, I thought that Cleveland could be a wild card team, and you know Pittsburgh was going to bounce back with Ben. So now what you're looking at is three playoff teams coming from that mm. division. And again, the big problem that the Bengals have right now is the fact that you've got Joe Burrow doing great and the offensive line doing horrible. Yeah, and usually one has to do with the other. With the offensive line's horrible, the quarterback gets killed. Uh, we've talked about a lot of positives. And you talk about the pro football teams at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey playing under the New York banner, the Jets and the Giants. I mean, the Giants are just inches better, but the Jets are a debacle. And now uh, Le'Veon Bell gets released. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess there's somebody who's going to pick him up. What do you hear? contract terminated so he has to you know work out some kind of a deal with the team and i figure chicago has got to be on the phone with them because their running game is non-existent and so he could help them out because he can catch the ball and he can run the ball but no the jets 
this is about as disastrous of a team as we've seen in the last couple of years. But, I mean, you live in Florida. You've watched uh, Adam Gaze. And when Adam Gaze gets mad at a player, that player is usually gone. I mean, he's gotten rid of so much talent, whether he's in Miami or the New York Jets. And, and here's one where... You know, you can see that he never wanted Le'Veon Bell because he's never a big believer in high-paid running backs. That's not his game. But he had to try to make the best of it, and he didn't. You know, last year, Le'Veon Bell had the worst running year in Jets history with 3.2 yards a game. Now, here he is this year. Le'Veon's trying to, you know, win Adam over. And so he gets the hamstring injury, and he stays on the field, and Adam didn't take him out. So he ends up uh, for five plays out there. Next thing you know, Le'Veon's on injured reserve. And then here comes Le'Veon, upset that he didn't get him more plays in Sunday's game. And so he tweets that out, and so he's cut. Ridiculous. Yeah, well, apparently you haven't read the the, uh, the newspapers. I moved from Florida back to the, Nor- to the New York metropolitan area. Oh, you moved? Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Uh, I I, uh, I remember when the Jets, when it was a complete disaster in the Rich Cotite era, which was uh, something we, everybody in the organization would just as soon forget. So then they went through uh, you know a variety of, of disasters, one after the other, and then the savior came in Bill Parcells, and I want to say 96 maybe, or 97, uh, and he gave legitimacy to the organization, and they survived, and they thrived from that point on. Uh, at, I see no point in firing Adam Gase at this point to accomplish what. Well, because I mean, I mean, uh, you're right about that. I guess the more the more he loses, the better it could be, because you know they got a messed up situation with Sam Darnold, and maybe they can get Trevor Lawrence and change things around. But again, you know, the sad part is I still think Sam Darnold can be a, a good quarterback in this league. And what I'm seeing with him, maybe not from the physical standpoint, uh, but you know, from the emotional standpoint, he's going through what Jim Plunkett went through on those bad New England Patriot teams. Now, Plunkett just got absolutely pulverized, hit hard and all that stuff. It took him like about a year and a half to go to Oakland and uh, regain his body and then came back and had a pretty good career. I think Sam Darnold can do the same, but it can't happen right now in New York. No, it's not. And, and look, they're void of talent. Everybody knows that. And, and you, you look around and you say, well, you know, we can point all the fingers you want. Joe Douglas is a new general manager, so I don't know if he can be held accountable uh, and we'll, we'll, he's, he deserves at least another year. But that aside, it's it's uh, it's sad when you see an organization in a big market like New York uh, to to because I think of the New York franchises are good. That helps the league, doesn't it? Oh, agreed. No question. I mean, hey, you look at the. Uh, I mean, here was a bad Dallas New York Giant game. It actually, turned out to be a pretty good game, mm-hmm. and it has one of the highest ratings in the last several years. And so you can see the interest is still there, even though the Giants are 0-5, and Dallas can't stop anybody on defense. But, I mean, you know, and, and you, could, you had a great rating. I think it was about 22 million people watched that game. Wow. Or watched or streamed it. And that's when the NBA Finals was going on. And the Lakers were clinching the uh, NBA title. So <clears throat> to get a rating like that on two losing teams is incredible. It shows you the interest that they have in the Giants and the Cowboys. But... Boy, I tell you what, it's a bad, it's a bad giant team. Yeah, and it's a bad Dallas defense, as you've alluded to. They host Arizona this Monday night. Uh, fortunately for the Giants, uh, they're in a terrible division. Uh, Philadelphia is nothing. Washington's nothing. The Giants, we've already talked about. So, I mean, yeah, 
the Dallas Cowboys could win the division, certainly 8-8. Eight and eight. Oh, I like that. Here's the thing that I came up with, is that uh, as bad of a Dallas team as it is right now, uh, Andy Dalton's still a decent quarterback. Right. Okay, so all he has to do is win division games. And so what I contend is that the Cowboys could be a 6-7 win team, but they could be the first team to clinch a division because, again, if they go 5-1 and one in the NFC East and they got a lot of NFC East games coming up, you know, they could clinch this thing by late November. Yeah, no question about it. He's John Clayton. Let, let's talk about a couple of surprises. Chicago and Carolina. Here are the Bears uh, <laughs> uh, sitting second in the uh, NFC North behind Green Bay. And Carolina's in a three-way tie with New Orleans and Tampa Bay. Uh, so these two teams meet this coming Sunday in Carolina. What are you looking at? Uh, you're, what you're looking at is, I think, you know, uh, Carolina, the Matt Rule was a great hire. No question about it, because I think you can see he does a great job with the offense. They gutted the defense, and so uh, they knew it was going to take a year or so to build that back up, but they've been able to survive. Chicago, I mean, you know, they've only got a plus five point differential, so they're really the equivalent of a 500 team, but the move to get uh, Nick Foles at quarterback did help to a certain degree because you didn't, didn't see it with Mitch Trubisky. I think in many ways, the Bears have been lucky, and I think that the uh, Panthers, as time goes on, maybe not necessarily all this year, are going to be really good. Yeah, and so the marquee game of the week, uh, there are two games on Monday night. It's Arizona-Dallas and then Kansas City-Buffalo, two teams coming off losses. I mean, something's got to give here, and you got two angry teams meeting. Yeah, that's why I think you have the advantage to the Chiefs because, again, Andy Reid does such a great job with his offense. They're, they've got more talent on their offense than they do last year. Sure, it's going to hurt not having Sammy Watkins. That's going to be a little bit of a setback. But then we'll have to see where Tredavious White is because he didn't play last night because of a bad back. And you can see that affected a lot of things. But uh, you know, now the confidence level of the Bills has got to be affected. The confidence level of the Chiefs is not affected. You know, they, they lost to the Raiders, but still they got 32 points. And they were trying to drive before the interception to try to at least uh, get that thing tied up. So in the end, I think the Chiefs have the advantage. Yeah, I look at, you know, I, I was stunned, to be honest with you, John, when the way Kansas City's secondary was riddled by Las Vegas and Derek Carr. I mean, they gave up, what, five plays of over 40 yards? Yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's shocking to me. But look, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to uh, reinvent himself. He is a top quarterback in this league. The Chiefs are still uh, the team to beat in the AFC. And, and I still maintain that Seattle's the team to beat in the NFC. Any debate? No, I think that's the case because, I mean, you're looking at the two best quarterbacks in football, and they all play at such a high level, and they never get intimidated when they're behind. You get a 94-yard touchdown drive to win the game for uh, Seattle with Russell Wilson. I mean, you see that uh, Mahomes had, like, what, six out of seven games where he had to come back from double-digit deficits to be able to win, including the Super Bowl. I mean, these guys are absolutely fearless, and they're great. Let me talk about one team before I let you go that's sailing under the radar, the Baltimore Ravens. A blowout win over Cincinnati, 27-3. Now they go to Philadelphia and play the Eagles this week. Uh, I mean, Lamar Jackson is still a quarterback that you better pay attention to because he can beat you a couple of ways. Yeah, 
no question about it. Uh, you know, I think their defense is better than it was last year. You know, offensively, they're not running the ball as much as they normally do, so they've been a little bit out of sync in that regard. And I don't care what uh, Lamar Jackson says. I think that knee injury that kept him out of practice for a couple of days did slow him down last week, but it didn't matter. They won by 24 points over the Bengals uh, because, again, there's just a difference in talent. Big thing is coming to see what's going to happen next when they eventually get down to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and, and that's that, yeah, that's always the marquee game. But you know, they they the addition of J.K. Dobbins, I think, has been a plus for the Ravens. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I think because uh, now they have you know multiple backs that they can go to. Melvin Ingram is the real good one, but in the end, I think that what you're looking at is that the the top three seeds in the AFC is Kansas City. Baltimore and Pittsburgh, and Baltimore and Pittsburgh have to wrestle and see where they fit in as number two, because Kansas City's already beaten Baltimore. Yeah, appreciate your time as always, John. Thanks very much, and don't forget to stay safe. Okay, thank you. John Clayton. He is the professor. Nobody's no more NFL football than John Clayton. Mark it down. Top-notch evaluator, top-notch guy. Saw an interesting baseball game last night, to say the least. Um, got the Braves and the Dodgers. Braves going to the game ahead a game. They won the opener. They had the pitching has been tremendous. They had four shutouts previously in the playoffs. They've done a great job. They score a fair amount. They've got what I think is going to be the MVP in Freddie Freeman. They're a legitimate team. But last night, they went up by seven to nothing. Well, you figure seven to nothing. And yet, you got their manager who actually felt like he wasn't comfortable with Brian Snitzer, was not comfortable with the lead. He said, you got a big lead like that? Yeah, and that's a doubting time. That's a manager. A manager looking at the negative, and, and, you, and you don't really see what's going on. But Freeman hit a two-run home run. They're getting production. Uh, and then the Dodgers erupt. In the seventh inning, they score three runs, seven to three. Albies comes up top of the eighth, hits a home run. It's eight to three. And then the fireworks went in the bottom of the ninth inning to where they had to use uh, Melanson again, for the second night to close it out because it got to be 8-7. to seven. And let's just say it was nervous time, to say the least. We're going to get somebody that really knows uh, a fair amount about uh, the Atlanta Braves. He's a guy who uh, wore the Atlanta Braves colors, uh, one of their all-time greats. We're going to talk to Dale Murphy. Hello? Hey, Dale. It's Howard David. How are you? Uh, kind of. Have we started? Uh, yeah, we're, have we started recording. Yeah, no, we're live. We're live. Yeah. Hello, Howard. <laughs> we're, no, we're live. <laughs> we're as live as we can be. Yeah, don't don't start any rumors now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you haven't been to a World Series. Freddie Freeman hasn't been to a World Series. He now has a chance. Uh, but last night. You're sitting on a seventh and nothing lead, and things are looking pretty good for the Braves based on four shutouts in previous games in the playoffs, had given up a total of six runs in the previous six games, 
They give up three runs in the seventh and four in the bottom of the ninth when he got a little nervous at the end. <laughs> yes, we all did. Um, well, I think, uh, the, the, you know, the way I look at it is, is um, the, the, the pitching has been so dominant that it's, you know, and you're facing a Dodger team that's, that's obviously got a great lineup that eventually something's going to happen. You just, uh, you know, so I'm not really concerned about any momentum swing or anything. These guys, uh, this Braves team is is resilient and confident. And, uh, you know, I, I just think you, you can't continue to pitch the way they've pitched. <laughs> I mean, that was just, you know, not giving up any runs ever. I mean, that's not going to happen. This is a really good Dodger team, really great bunch of hitters. And, uh, you know, you, you know, it's probably a good wake up call for the Braves because things were kind of smooth sailing for a while. You know, when, when you're, when you're not giving up any runs. No, you're right. So it's a probably good wake up call. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's just not good for a team to to think, you know, this is going to be easy because our pitching is going to carry us and no one's going to score. You just can't play that way. So, you know, you can look at it both ways. Is it a momentum a changer for the series? No, because they lost uh, the Dodgers. So I don't think it really helps. It probably helps a little bit just to say, hey, at least we can score some runs. Yeah. But I think it's a good wake-up call for the Braves. Yeah, Brian Snitzer said after the game that when the team went up 7 nothing, he wasn't sitting comfortable, uh, but that's understandable. Here I am, a brave supporter. I'm sitting there watching the game. My wife says, well, look like you're in good shape. I said, this Dodger team is not going to lay down. Mark it down. Yeah. They're not. It's not who they are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've, they've got a, a great history. they got uh, Mookie Betts is with the team now. And and so, you know, this, this, this series is – with a 2-0 lead, obviously – uh, you like the Braves' chances, but I would just be really shocked if it, it just didn't tighten up. But by the same token, don't the Dodgers look at it as, uh, you know, their bats came alive in the seventh and then again in the ninth inning? They, can they use that as a motivating factor going into game three? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, the old question is, are, are there any moral victories? Yeah, I, I think there are occasionally. They're still down 2-0, you know, so they're going to have to uh, just say, well, look, you know, we, we can swing the bats. We're okay. Just, you know, let's not panic. Uh, we don't like where we're at, but we're starting to swing the bats a little bit better. But I'll tell you, you know, they're going to get freed again. And uh, so, uh, you know, they're going to – the Braves just have a real nice, confident thing going with them. So uh, I think obviously advantage uh, Braves, but with the Dodger history um, – and lineup, you know, uh, this this thing is is going to tighten up. I I firmly believe that, and that whoever wins this thing is is going to have to earn it. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, I'd be pleasantly surprised if it continues this way, but I just don't see it. I just don't see uh, Dodgers getting swept. Yeah, and the Braves got a break last night. Clayton Kershaw stiffened up. He wasn't available at the back spasms. He may pitch in game four. Uh, so they got a little bit of a break with his not being able to pitch. Yeah. Right, right. I look at, uh, at this Braves team, and, you, and we talk about Freddie Freeman, and if he's not the MVP of the National League, you got to tell me who is. <laughs> well, I would totally agree with you. Of course, I'm 
you and I both are, but yeah. uh, I think our, our bias is justified. Uh, just you know, Freddie is just so solid. Uh, I always I always think about the time when we got Chris Shambliss back in the early '80s. We we didn't really become a, a, a pretty good team um, until we had a first baseman that could play like Chris Shambliss, mm-hmm. and it's an invaluable position. Saves errors. Uh, from your infielders on throws, save runs, saves runs all the time, and then you have a guy that hit whatever he hit, 340 and home runs, clutch hitter. I mean, you, you got a guy that has done everything. Um, and, uh, you know, first base is just such a critical position, and he's incredible there. And then you add his offense. I thought it was kind of humorous. <laughs> I, I thought it was humorous. Uh, Mark Melanson had, had caught somebody's home run ball the other day in the bullpen, yeah. and then he catches, uh, what was it, Albie's home run last night? Yeah, yeah. It was Albie's the night before, and it was Albie's <laughs> last night. <laughs> That's kind of, it was kind of a... No, there's, there's some, you know, there's always some, some things you think, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is a sign, because that is some crazy stuff, and and I, might, I may add this, Howard, too. I think this discussion is really interesting that I heard... Uh, John Smoltz bring up, and I think it was Terry Francona who he was talking about that said anybody who wins the World Series this year should not have an asterisk by this and say it was, you know, a 60-game shortened season. Now, they may do that, obviously, but the point is whoever wins this World Series this year, and and it just made me think of it when I thought, you know, back-to-back home runs in the bullpen that Melanson caught and hit by Albies. There's weird things going on. This has been such a weird, challenging um, season that you had to deal with so much. Let's not forget that Freddie Freeman had COVID uh, at the beginning of the season. And that's not, you know, any team that wins it this year has gone through so many hoops uh, and and so many different things that it's going to be a remarkable accomplishment for whatever team wins this year, even though we only had a 60-game season. Yeah, hey, Dale, I couldn't agree with you more. And not just baseball. I mean, people no, are talking about, yeah. people talking about the NBA and an asterisk to the Lakers for winning the champ. No, I thought it was more difficult because of the circumstances. And I, I feel yeah, the same. I, think, yeah. I feel the same I way about baseball. That, yeah, I think you can make that argument. Sure. I mean, look, you're, everything you did was different. I mean, you're, you're used to your, your rhythm of the game, uh, the rhythm of traveling. Just the and every day was different. The rhythm of who was going to be on your team and who had COVID and what protocols you had to keep and just the whole the, the whole thing it, it, it's just so and, and you know all of us are out of our rhythm and it's very challenging um, no matter what we do it's gonna it's a challenging year and so credit to ML, MLB who put on a season is putting on a fun uh, postseason and all the credit in the world to the team that wins it uh, look Talk about, uh, by the way, I don't know if, you, if there was an update on Freddie Freeman. He injured his arm last night. Have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything. Okay. Um, but if there is, an, and if you were reaching, uh, Melanson had a pitch last night after pitching the night before. I, I'm sure Snitzer did not want him to pitch last night, but he had no choice. Absolutely. Yeah, like, like you know, you, you just cannot think, to yourself that this is going to be a cakewalk and 
and, and that's that's what happens in sports and life when we just get comfortable and we think, okay, everything's fine. Look, they're going to have to earn it against the Dodgers. And uh, uh, again, like I said, I think it's going to tighten up. I just don't see I don't see smooth sailing uh, for the Braves. I mean, I, what I mean is, I I I, I think they're going to win it, but they're going to have to earn it. And uh, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, using your closer when you're up. Uh, you know, that many runs is, is not ideal. But, you know, their bullpen, I believe uh, it's the number one bullpen in the league, and, and so they're pretty deep. They're pretty deep. Now, what about Kyle Wright? He goes tonight, or this afternoon, actually, against Julio Arias, who I don't know. I've not seen him pitch. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about him, but Kyle Wright has shown that he can get it done. Yeah, isn't it interesting, though, as you look at their, their first three starters, Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, and uh, Max Freed. And then and remember, uh, we got Soroka coming back next year. Mm. I mean, look at those top look at those top four starters. They're all under I don't uh, twenty three or twenty four. I mean, it, you know, I don't want to look to next year yet, but just these first three starters of these games, you know, these are kids. And uh, and what a what an environment to to grow up in and to come up in big games, pressure games. I love Kyle Wright. Uh, I think his last few starts have been really, uh, you know, uh, better than his, you know, previous, uh, probably his last three or four starts have been better than his, uh, than the ones before that. So he's getting better. He's getting better. And no, he's legit. I mean, uh, this, this Braves uh, team has a, has a great mix of young starters and experienced bullpen. Yeah. Unfortunately, Soroka is not available because that would have made life a lot easier, but uh, I haven't seen the breakout yet from Acuna. I haven't seen the breakout yet uh, from uh, Ar- Marcel Azuna. And by the way, he's a free agent after this year. I'd lock him up. <laughs> yeah, I think he's he's been a great addition. Um, I'll tell you the other thing that, um, but I, I would agree with you. I, 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 I'd like to see a little bit better and more uh, content, contact from Acuna. And Ozuna. Uh, that's the, the but we got a deep lineup, as you know. But I'd like to see a little bit more uh, sizzle in there. Uh, you know what what we saw during the season to carry on during the the playoffs in the World Series. Uh, I'd like to see that come out. I I, I agree with you for sure. Um, I, I mentioned early on that Freddie Freeman hasn't been to a World Series. Neither were you. Is that is that like a void in your in your mind when you think about it? Oh yeah, you know every year I watch the World Series. Uh, I always I watch and I go, man, what wonder what that was. What wonder what it's like because uh, we got to the playoffs, we got swept, we were done in three games. I mean, it just went so fast uh, against the uh, the Cardinals uh, back in the early '80s, and and you know never never uh, sniffed it again. So yeah, I I no question about it. I mean, that's what you play for and. I watch every year and think, man alive, that must be something. Yeah, but meanwhile, uh, the sad part of this year, we've lost some players that were sensational players in baseball recently. Of course, Joe Morgan from the Big Red Machine, uh, Whitey Ford, great Yankee pitcher from back in the day, Bob Gibson, of course, from the Cardinals. Uh, It's incredible how many – I'm getting old, man, because these these are guys that I watched as a kid. Oh, it's crazy. It really is sad. And, uh, you know, I was thankful for the chance to uh, uh, have, uh, of course, he was pitching coach. So I 
I didn't have him as a coach, but he was a pitching coach when Joe Torrey was with the Braves. So, uh, and I know Joe and, and Gibby were really tight. And uh, so, you know, and I've got to meet all the other uh, guys you mentioned over the years at all-star games or other things. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's tough to, uh, to see life move on, Howard, there's no no question about it. It's, yeah. it's a challenging time. Well, uh, the Braves go after the Dodgers later today. I want to say the game is at six o'clock in the East, uh, which which will be interesting. And I, I don't know that you can say well. Obviously, there's pressure on the Dodgers because they're down 2-0. But isn't there pressure on the Braves as well to make sure the Dodgers don't catch them? Yeah, yeah. You always get into that. Uh, it, yeah, no matter what the situation is, you got pressure. <laughs> you know, if you're up 2-0, uh, you got to say to yourself, well, we can't even give them a chance to think they can catch us. We get to, th- you know, 3-0, and uh, you know, then we're playing with house money. But uh, I-, I think the Braves, you know, overall are pretty relaxed. But I, I-, I just do not, again, do not feel comfortable uh, as, a- as a Braves fan, you know, till this thing is, is- – till game four is – is one, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Dodgers win the next two. You're going to have this thing tighten up. Yeah, I, I wait. When every time Bellinger, Bellinger's been slumping, but I knew when he came up late in the game, he's going to do something. And Mookie Betts, same thing. I mean, he got a base yeah. hit. Yeah. Uh, these guys are just, they're all star players. They just don't lie down. Yeah, for sure. And and so you know we counter that with uh, maybe uh, uh, Acuna and Ozuna. We'll, we'll pick it up. But you're, you're definitely right. Uh, Mookie Betts, uh, you know, if you, it's it's uh, it's a scary lineup. And Bellinger, too, he gets going. You know, but Mookie Betts and Acuna, I think, are some guys to watch. It's the keys to the rest of the series. Dale, appreciate your time. As always, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too, Howard. Stay safe. He's the great Dale Murphy. And I mean the great Dale Murphy. Guy was an all-star player. Won back-to-back MVPs, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. you got to tell me why. For personally, when it comes to Halls of Fame, I have a problem. And my problem is it's not the Hall of Stats, it's the Hall of Fame. And if you've distinguished the game, in addition to being productive, to me it's a no-brainer. I mean, Dale Murphy was the epitome of an outstanding person happened to play baseball. He was an all-star, two-time MVP. He didn't win a championship. And if we're evaluating players based on championships or they, if they won, I mean, I'll give you a case in point. Bill Mazeroski, good player for the Pittsburgh Pirates, hit the winning home run in the 1960 World Series to beat the Yankees. Bill Mazeroski was not a Hall of Famer, in my mind. He came eligible at the same time Gil Hodges did of the Brooklyn Dodgers. To me, it's, no, it's a no-brainer. Here's Gil Hodges, who hit, I want to say, uh, if my numbers are right, 378 home runs. He's also a 10-time All-Star. He was also the best fielding first baseman in baseball. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. What's wrong with this picture? Really? Gil Hodge is not in the Hall of Fame. Get him in. Long overdue. And I believe his wife, who lives in Florida, is still alive. 
And in her mind, Joan Hodges, Gill is a Hall of Famer, obviously. She was married to the man for a long time. And then he goes on and he manages the Mets and wins the World Series. Here's this big man, this physically demanding individual. I'll give you, I'll give you a good story. Braves are playing, the, uh, the Milwaukee Braves then were playing the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, and a fight ensued. One thing led to another, punches are being thrown, there's a brawl. And Eddie Matthews, who's a big man, third baseman of the Braves, was beaten up on some Dodger. Hodges came over with one hand, picked him up by his belt with one hand and pulled him off. Eddie Matthews is over 200 pounds. That aside, that's just an example of his strength and his defending his teammates. But to me, halls of fame are that. It's halls of fame. It is not about halls of stats because I'll be honest with you, when I walk through the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, I've been there a few times, and Ty Cobb is a great player, but he was a notorious racist. Okay? You know, great baseball player. But he had a character problem. You go to the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and you go there with your son or your daughter, and as you're walking down the hallway, you see the bust of O.J. Simpson. Hey, Daddy, tell me about O.J. Simpson. Oh, he was a great running back. And oh, by the way, he killed his wife. Wasn't proven in a court of law because Johnny Cochran was a great lawyer. And then a couple of years later, he was arrested for something less than murder. But he did like nine years in jail. And he's still in the Hall of Fame. There has to be a prerequisite. If you do something against society and you're a professional athlete, you've got to pay a price. And that price should be removed from the Hall of Fame. It's not right. They've been saying for years that Pete Rose shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And I understand he broke the rules. He broke a critical rule. No gambling on your team or obviously against your team. It's punishable by banishment from the game for life. It's been over 30 years. And I maintain that had he come clean to Bart Giamatti, the commissioner, at the time, within that first year, when he was proven to have gambled on baseball, he didn't gamble against his team, he gambled on his team. Okay, he broke the rules. But after all these years, what happened to the second chance? Everybody gets a second chance, except Pete Rose. But yet every year we hear about Alex Rodriguez and Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmero and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa from the steroid era. And they don't get enough votes to get into the Hall of Fame, nor should they. But if I'm going to defend Pete Rose and saying he deserves to be back in, at some point, you've got to say... Second chance. If anybody should be chastised, it should be Bud Selig, who was the commissioner during the steroid era. He wasn't tough enough. He only cared about 
the money that teams were getting paid. Competitive balance. I've had the discussion with Bud Selig before, so I'm not talking behind his back. I told him I completely disagreed with the way he handled the steroid era. Furthermore, I said that Jackie Robinson would be rolling over in his grave. Seeley got mad at me. At that time, I was broadcasting Milwaukee Bucks games owned by Herb Cole, U.S. Senator, who's a boyhood friend of Bud Seeley's. He asked me to have lunch with Bud Seeley, with Cole there, and I said, okay. And we sat down, we got into the discussion, and I said, uh, and Seeley gave me his oratory, and I heard it, and I said, with all due respect, I completely disagree. I haven't changed my stance. I grew up as a baseball junkie. I don't like the way the game is. I really don't. I mean, now it's better, okay? And I'm partial to the Braves and to a lesser degree the Yankees. That's another story for a different day. The Yankees have a lot of issues to deal with. Not the least of which is re-signing D.J. LeMayu. But that's Hal Steinbrenner's problem. But I just give him a word of caution. You better not let him get away. I know he's 32 or he'll be 33 or whatever. The guy can hit. He's been the MVP of the Yankees for the last two years. Getting off the track. Going back to the Hall of Fame. I think... Yeah, Mariano Rivera goes in unanimous. And I mean unanimous. He got 100% of the votes. A couple of years before, Derek Jeter got 90-something percent. Whoever didn't vote for Derek Jeter, and there was one person, should have his ballot removed. You can't make an obviously stupid decision when you have a valuable piece in your hand like a ballot for a Hall of Fame. Same can be said of those that didn't vote for Ted Williams or Willie Mays. Are you kidding me? Willie Mays was the best player in the history of the game, in my opinion. Him and Junior Griffey. Willie Mays, there's a five-tool player. He was a six-tool player. There was nothing he couldn't do and excel. And boy, did they get him cheap when you consider the times he played from the early 50s until he finally called it a day in his last year with the Mets where he just looked so completely inept. Sad to say. Willie Mays doesn't get 100% of the votes. Ted Williams doesn't get 100% of the votes. Mickey Mantle doesn't get 100% of the votes. Kidding me? Mariano did, deservedly so. He was the greatest closer in the history of the game. Derek Jeter, the captain of the Yankees, the successful Yankees that dominated baseball for that period of time, and he doesn't go into the Hall of Fame unanimously with 100% of the votes. I maintain this, and I say it until my dying day. If you don't see what is patently clear in front of you, You shouldn't be allowed to participate. And that ballot should be taken away from you. The basketball season's over. The NBA season's over. College basketball, by the way, is starting practice today. We'll see how far they go in terms of how many games are played, where the games are played, and so on. And by the way, I'm puzzled. I'm scratching my head when I hear the coach at University of Florida saying we should have a full stadium. And the governor of Florida, 
at the president's rally, running through, high-fiving people. What the hell is wrong with you? Do you not see, do you not understand that 217,000 people are dead? And you continue to carry the president's bag as if he, he's the only one. Yeah, right, he's the only one. No, he's not. And about the president dancing during a rally, 217,000 people are dead. And this guy's dancing at rallies, asking people to love him. Sorry, not happening, not for me. Let's talk a little NBA basketball, even though the season is over. And as we uh, search for our man, Brian Mahoney. If he's there. Uh, there he is. It's Brian Mahoney. It's Howard David. How are you, sir? Good, Howard. How are you? I can't complain. What are you doing these days with no basketball? Vacation. So yesterday. It's going to be a long one. <laughs> <laughs> so when when do things start up again? Yeah, I, uh, maybe I'll work again sometime in 2020. We'll have to see. Yeah, sometime in 2020 or 2021. What about Wednesday when the draft is uh, in November? Yeah, they still have that scheduled for the uh, 18th. And we'll see. I mean, I guess it could get changed again. But for now, I think they at least want to, you know, uh, get through that part of the process at least. What would, uh, outside of the obvious and the pandemic and, and its effect on the NBA playing in the bubble and so on, and I've talked to a number of broadcasters that worked in the bubble like Mike Breen and Dave Pash, and guys like an Iron Eagle, uh, it's it's. I mean, it's 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 different that to say the least. But it's just my opinion, Brian. But I think what was accomplished this year in the bubble was more difficult than a normal eighty-two game season. In a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, the no travel and stuff certainly helps. Uh, but. There was a lot of, you know, the mental just not being able to get away from basketball, which was which was rough. I mean, that's a, you know, you want to be able to get away from your job once in a while, and you couldn't do that in the bubble. So that's that's hard. The Lakers-Heat series, and nobody expected the Heat to be in the finals, right? I mean, they were fifth in the East going into the playoffs. People expected the Lakers to meet the Clippers in the, in the, uh, in the West, in the Western final. That didn't happen. Milwaukee wasn't there. That which was a bigger shock to you, the Clippers not getting there or the Bucks not getting there? Well, I at least thought the Bucks would get to the conference final. You have to get to the NBA final, so that was a surprise. Uh, yeah, the Clippers, I thought, would play in the NBA finals, but at worst-case scenario, I thought they would get to the conference finals. Uh, uh, so, you know, both of them were, were stunning in, in different ways. I, uh, you know, I guess I, you know, could have seen the Clippers losing – uh, you know, one round later, but uh, certainly not where they did. Brian, uh, when you now hear about certain issues that went on behind closed doors with the Clippers, and ultimately it seemed to have cost Doc Rivers his job, 
Uh, where do you think the Clippers go from here? I mean, do you think they're going to make dramatic moves? Well, you know, I wouldn't think so because it's, it's such a good roster in a lot of ways. They're able to keep it together. I mean, we, we all thought they were the deepest team in the league, perhaps. Uh, you know, what they need is time together. Uh, that team was hurt more than any team, I think, by the time off because once they came back, now they lost guys again. You know, Montrose Harrell had to go back after his grandmother died. Williams had to leave, and then uh, he was out for a while after that. Uh, so, you know, that team just needs to play a ton of games together and learn each other and things like that uh, because the talent is absolutely there. But there's no coach yet. And I heard Tyron Lue at the, at the inside of the job. Now I'm hearing he's going to Houston. Well, I mean, we've been saying he's getting a job this year. Uh, certainly there were, you know, opportunities out there. Uh, his resume is too good to not think he's going to be a head coach in the NBA. So whether they keep him there, whether he goes elsewhere, I would, you know, be t- completely shocked if he's not running a team whenever next season opens. And uh, Jeff Van Gundy's name has come up again. What are you hearing? Uh, you know, Jeff didn't want to coach again for a while. He liked the broadcasting job as he was, uh, you know, as his girls were younger. Uh, and now that's not necessary anymore. Now they're older. He wants to, you know, he can devote the time to coaching again. And uh, you know, just a matter of getting the right job. Uh, you know, when you're out for as long as he's been out, uh, every year there's more and more good candidates to compete against. I think, uh, you know, five six years ago, you would have been a cinch to get a job. Now you look at the type of guys who were out there this summer. You know, Tom Tudor got hired. Talking to Ron Lewis, won a title. Uh, you know, these are these are tough guys to compete against, and that makes it hard to get back in. Doc Rivers didn't wait very long to get a job. He's got the job with Philadelphia, and he's got a challenge too. Uh, I mean, he's got Joel Embiid. He's got one of the top five players in the league. Um, but if if I were to say that Joel Embiid need to get his butt in a gym and, and get in better shape, would that be a, a, a would that be an accurate statement? problems the problem is they've had the same ones for a few years they haven't been corrected and a lot of the problems are on the players uh you know and beats conditioning uh you know ben simmons jump shot uh those are things that have to be worked on in your own time uh you know a coach can only do so much uh you know in practice you know shoot around things like that these are things that guys have to take care of over the summer really really devote themselves to and we haven't seen that from those two guys now if they do then sky's the limit for that team. But uh, those guys have to show they want to do it and really, really stick with it and uh, get to where they should be as players. Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press. So we thought that Mike D'Antoni was getting the Sixer job. He didn't. Uh, is his next destination Indiana or someplace else? Well, you know, again, we just, like we just said, when you talk about the, the, the level of coaches out there, he's another one, right? You're talking about a couple I'm coach of the year who's now on the market. Uh, Indiana was early on. Uh, everyone thought uh, he was linked to that. Uh, you know, it hasn't happened yet, so maybe not. But uh, certainly I think his name will be involved in, in whatever else pops up. If he wants to get back in, uh, someone's got to listen to him talk and give him an interview, I think, because uh, his accomplishments as a coach. Uh, and then the solid play in the basketball in the NBA right now, he's, he's a guy who, uh, you know, is worthy of an opportunity. Oklahoma City is still available. New Orleans is still available. Houston, I mentioned, the Clippers in Indiana. Um, I'm going to give you a name of a coach, and, and you tell me uh, what your thoughts are. Uh, he did a great job with the Brooklyn Nets, and I'm talking about Kenny Atkinson. I don't know what happened behind closed doors. I wasn't there, so I don't know. I do know that the guy can coach, and I do know that he's particularly excellent with young players. Uh, 
Uh, I just don't know that he's one of the first names that owners think of when they when they look to get a new head coach, and he doesn't have that kind of name sizzle. Well, you're right about that. Uh, he hasn't been a head coach for a long time, and uh, you know, with some of the other guys out there, certainly his name doesn't jump at you first. But but having been up here in New York and, and seen what he's done, uh, certainly I would I would absolutely give him a shot to interview for a job uh you know, that team i think got to the playoffs faster than expected in that third year of his uh you know they hung in there this year with all the injuries and and uh you know the difficulty of everything this season brought so uh certainly i think kenny deserves a chance and, and as you said he's done well with young teams young players certainly maximizing guys who when you look at joe harris and spencer dinwiddie guys who came to brooklyn and hadn't had much of a career in the nba and they certainly had one under kenny atkinson so that should certainly uh, be worthy of consideration look we've already seen coaches hired billy donovan um, with the Chicago Bulls. Steve Nash gets hired uh, by the Brooklyn Nets, uh, which kind of uh, raised some eyebrows. But when you stopped and realized that Kevin Durant kissed off and signed off on it, then you understood, where, and he had a relationship with Sean Marks. So th- that was not a shock from that standpoint, even though he didn't have experience. But with this job comes a lot of pressure because the expectations are going to be very high. They are very high, and it's you know not a long window that that team is going to have. Kevin Durant's already in his early thirties, uh, so you're not talking about this team is going to have you know five six years to grow together like maybe the Warriors did a few years back. Uh, you know they they need to kind of win quickly, and that is hard for a first time coach. Uh, certainly doable, but uh, the pressure is there. This is not a job you're going to be able to really sort of learn all as you go. You're going to have to be really get good at it very quickly, uh, so they can meet what they're supposed to be. And it's interesting to note, here they are, the team that, that made that was the eighth spot in the East. I just saw uh, Vegas put out some odds in terms of who's going to win the championship or favored to win the championship next year. And in the East, the Nets are the third best team in the East, according to the poll. You know, if the Nets get to where they're, you know, if they meet all the expectations, certainly they can win the East. Uh, the, the talent is absolutely there. Uh, but, you know, but I caution people on the Nets a little bit, too. When you're talking about a first-time coach, talking about Kevin Durant, by the time they play, will have been out a long, long time. Uh, you know, he had surgery last June. They're not going to play again until maybe in January. Uh, I don't care how good a player you are, and certainly know how very, very good he is. Uh, there's going to be a lot of rust to shake off. It's not going to happen right away, I would think. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talent even right there in that division. You know, if Philadelphia... If Doc gets them where they're supposed to be, uh, Boston with the with the great you know core they have, uh, you know the Nets are not just going to walk into this thing just because they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. There's a there's a, a group ahead of them that they have to find a way to you know jump ahead of next season. Yeah, and don't forget the Miami Heat. I thought what they accomplished this year, they didn't win it, uh, which is disappointing to them, I'm sure. But nobody picked them to go to the finals uh, as the fifth team in the East. I thought Spolster did a magnificent job. And Jimmy Butler, uh, man, the, the performance that he put on in the finals in a couple of games was nothing short of sensational. Yeah, those uh, game three and game five were, were as good as, you know, any games he'll say. Uh, uh, you know, certainly LeBron's had a few like that in his career, but otherwise it's hard to, to think of anybody else. Uh, you know, he dominated in every statistical category against a better team. That was, that was something to watch. Um, speaking of LeBron. In your opinion, did he take his legacy to another level 
for his performance in the finals? Well, you know, I already had his legacy up there so high. There's not a lot of you know room still to go. Uh, you know, he had a great, great year. Team wins a title. Uh, you know, I, I, there's there's really there's really not much more you can say. What he did this year it was fantastic. But he's been doing fantastic things for so long that you know I'm not surprised by any of it. It's it's almost what I expect out of him. And then when you add a player like Anthony Davis to that team, uh, you know, it takes a lot of pressure off him. He's certainly. You know, this was something that that was there for them, and credit to them that they were able to pull it off. And uh, you know, he certainly had a great run in the bubble, uh, on and off the floor. Yeah, I completely agree. But I look at their roster, and look, can they use another shooter? Yes, uh, particularly in this in the era of the three point shot, maybe even two. But uh, look, LeBron James, what he accomplished is sensational. He's thirty five years old, and Magic Johnson was quoted as saying yesterday that. He's, I mean, he, he openly recruited uh, Luka Doncic, <laughs> you know, when he's free. Come play with the Lakers, you know. I don't know if that's if that's within the rules to do that, but then again, he doesn't work for the Lakers. <laughs> no, he probably shouldn't do it either way. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, yeah, he's not uh, running the team anymore. He probably, it's probably more allowable than, uh, than in the past. Brian Mahoney of AP, before I let you go, let me ask you about uh, the the uh, value of this championship. People will say it deserves an asterisk. I completely say opposite. I think what was accomplished this year, uh, in in many cases, was more difficult than a regular eighty-two game season. You know, I can I can see it both ways. I think I think they deserve fullest credit, uh, the Lakers, for for winning a title, knowing how difficult this whole situation was. To not really know when you're going back and playing, you know, how you where you're going to play, you know, have your family with you, uh, certainly hard. Uh, you know, as hard as you'll ever see, I think. Uh, but on the other hand, if you want to be a critic, if you want to say, wait a minute, I think the Clippers would have beaten them in a real season, uh, you can do that. Uh, certainly there is the ability to put an asterisk on it if you want to. I don't agree it should be done, but for the people who want to do it, it's there. Uh, you can certainly make the case that, that maybe things could have been different in another season, in a real season, but uh, you know, I think the Lakers deserve credit for you know for, for what they did. This was certainly uh, something that no one's ever seen before, and it took something special to master it, and they did it. Yeah, absolutely. He's Brian Mahoney of Associated Press. Thanks very much for your contributions, uh, Brian. And enjoy your vacation, and stay safe. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. Take care of yourself. He's Brian Mahoney, Associated Press. It's been a heck of a year for basketball. Again, I credit Adam Silver and his people the NBA. They did a great job. I mean, a great job. They did a great job. Not one COVID casualty in terms of getting the virus. Not one in the NHL either. Of course, you're dealing with a fewer players than you would in the National Football League or in Major League Baseball. Having said all that, and keeping my fingers crossed, I'm just praying like everybody that this goes away. But it ain't happening tomorrow. It isn't happening in November. It's not happening in December. It's going to go into 2021 if you listen to the scientists. And I think that Anthony Fauci is a brilliant man. I think Dr. Gupta is a brilliant man. And I listen to them. Not all this other crap. So you folks stay safe. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. Have a good day. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.